0: ask me in
1: April is what Pep Guardiola said all the way through this season about a potential quadruple. Well, here we are in the very last Blue Moon podcast of March and the possibility of a team winning everything has never been so likely. But that still doesn't necessarily make it likely at all, does it? On this week's show we'll be getting the inside track on City's next two Premier League opponents as Pep Guardiola's side prepare to take on Fulham and Cardiff. We'll check in with Sean Blinkhorn to get his views on the youngsters at City, plus City fan and actor John Henshaw tells us all about his new movie, The Keeper, based on the life of the legendary Bert Trautmann. I mean host David Mooney and with me in the studio this week are a pair of City fans in the shape of Bob Toole and Kieran Lou. So uh, it's off the back of the international break, uh, two games for for City coming up. We're going to start with uh, with Fulham. How do you feel about the international break? Is it a momentum killer or is it the opportunity to get some good rest?
2: I think this time we needed a bit of rest, Um, but having said that, the way that the fixtures are piled up in April, you might not be thinking that in two or three weeks' time. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword really but I think I think if it had come maybe a week later I think it would have been better um but I think when you look at the way that the players have done like you think Sterling's going to come back absolutely yeah. he's going to be you know top of the world isn't he? Yeah exactly so so yeah so I I think it should put us in good stead I think the fact that we're playing first on on Saturday morning as well will enable us to sort of get out in front and stick our noses in front and put put a bit of pressure on them playing spurs.
3: Yeah, I think the fixtures we've got after the international break they've been quite kind to us so in theory should be able to rack up some points and like you say we're playing first on Saturday so it should put some pressure hopefully on Liverpool.
2: Plus I, I don't think they're playing midweek are they when we've got Cardiff.
1: No, that's our catch-up game. Yeah. So uh, you look at uh, the way that the timing of the break. Um it's it's now it's it's from now to the end of the season it's just intense football for, for for city if they if they've got serious hopes of winning all four trophies they've got one in the bag already they've got a maximum of 15 games that's it it's kind of like just get the job done move on to the next one now isn't
2: it yeah it's sort of if you can get on a roll but you but you say just 15 games i know it, i know
1: just 15 it's a it's a big ask it, but it's
2: like obviously we won 18 in a row last year but you know no one does that it's uh, i just think if you get I think if you get fourteen wins out of that, I still don't think you're guaranteed all four trophies. Like I think that's how that's how tight it is at the minute. I think fourteen wins doesn't necessarily guarantee you a quadruple. So people that you know, people saying that we're still in with a shout of it, I think it's it's a um, it's a it's a huge ask for us to be able to do it. But at the same time, you think you're not going to get much
1: much many better years to actually do it. I was going to say, Bob Guardiola all season has been saying, "Ask me in April." We are like we we will be in April very soon. So I mean, at some point, somebody's going to have to talk about it.
3: Yeah, they they have to. It's, it's the thing on everyone's lips, isn't it? Like City fans and other fans and journalists. So yeah, he's just going to have to. We talk can't
1: about we can't it. we can't just keep saying, "Well, you know, we'll see how it goes." We'll see how it goes. There's going to come a point where it's make or break time for this.
3: Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, Half-time in the Champions League final. We'll, we'll keep a lid on it while we we'll <laughs> <going. laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, you've got the FA Cup semi-final. If we if we win that, like it's so unbelievably on, isn't it really? Like and you can afford to not win every game. You could potentially draw the FA Cup semi-final and still win it on penalties. You could afford to lose one of the Tottenham Champions League matches and still go through. So,
2: this is a defeatist attitude. Already already I looking know. at ways out of this. L- looking looking at ways to lose and also go through. What an absolute <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's my pessimistic mentality. There.
2: But, but, but yeah, but my my point isn't more that you can't afford it. I mean, I'm just saying, if you won 14, you still aren't guaranteed.
3: Well, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, it's so incredibly tight in the league. It's just, I just still can't call that. I just don't know what's going to happen. They're there.
2: really, really, really annoying me. Really annoying just cause me. Just because they're not going away. Yeah, because, the, like, there's some, like, like Buddy Pickford with his tiny arms in that game, is just like, I I genuinely think if Pickford drops doesn't you know if if Pickford drops that doesn't drop that
1: if he pops if he just tips it over the ball like he should
2: it I I don't think they're within five, five, six points of us I think that completely I think the 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 bounce that that gave him was absolutely ridiculous um that like I think that is a bigger moment of the season than even the Mara's penalty that that Pickford moment just gave them a, a, a huge boost. And it and it enabled them to also get the sort of feeling of winning games when they shouldn't, which is what they've got in the habit of. And that's not Liverpool, like they're they're not used to doing that. But that game gave them that where they where they win when they shouldn't have done.
1: So as we know, it's uh, Fulham at the weekend for City. I'm delighted to say we're now joined by Farrell Monk from the uh, Formish Podcast. Farrell, um, just want to, to to kind of ask you to start with. Um, you know, off the back of seven defeats on the run, it's probably not a game you want to come back from the international break, is it?
4: Well, to be honest, uh, it seems like our fate is completely sealed anyway, so it doesn't matter who we're facing this weekend, to be honest. Um, it, you know, uh, hopefully we can just go in there with um, all the shackles off and the pressure off and hopefully uh, spring an upset against the team that just uh, most recently destroyed uh, a team in the Champions League 7-0. <laughs> if Fulham don't need the points, can City just have them in that case? Is that, is that all right? Well, that would just spoil part of the fun, <laughs> wouldn't it, of the Premier League? Um <laughs> You know, I'm still hoping for for uh, for a positive result on Saturday, and you know, a chance to see these superstars in action at Craven Cottage is still a bit of a privilege for me. Growing up in the in the lower leagues, and if you think back to when Fulham were trying to rise up the leagues, Manchester City and Fulham were there at the same time in Division Two. To be able to see players like Aguero, Sterling, Sané, and the rest of them, I can go on in the whole 25-man squad who can get into, who probably can get into this Fulham team. Um, you know at, down at Cramer Cottage I think it's an absolute privilege anyway and to even I, I was speaking to someone in the week about how to nab a point off the champion the current champions and and maybe the champions at the end of this season is much better than beating 6-0 at Burton in the championship any day of the week
1: where's it gone wrong for Fulham this season
4: well, how long
1: how long we got? <laughs> um, You've got as long as you want. It's been an international weekend. We're definitely not padding.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a few things. I think there's three overarching things that I can think of off the top of my head. Um one there's a there's a lack of it uh consistency. We brought in so many players in the summer um with a bit of a scattergun approach, who's available, what are the big names, who can we get? Uh, with no real sort of strategy as to to where those players are coming in and where they're going to fit into the system that's that uh, at the time Slavisa Akanovic wanted to play then he spent the good the first eight or nine games experimenting with these new players and seeing which ones fit into the system and then obviously Slavisa started to get a little bit of consistent uh, starting 11 and then all of a sudden he's out the door and then we're back to square one uh, with Claudio Ranieri who wants to you know, completely changed the system. It's now relearning the system with all the players. The players getting used to his management style, um, which, well, to be honest, it was a complete disaster from day one with Claudio Ranieri not playing the best players in their in their in their right for positions, not playing the correct system. I mean, no disrespect to the defenders that we have, but it's quite clear that you cannot play a defensive system with, quite frankly, a poor defence. Um, and that led to an absolute disastrous rain, uh with him at the helm and then of course he's out the door we've got another another caretaker manager in and then now now they're again they're trying to learn a new system again the the play you know the players are now sort of seeming to, to play in the right position but you know it's way too late in the season for all of this and you can point to sort of individual moments throughout the season but we have I've got to go to bed in a few hours to be honest <laughs> but you, see, um,
2: you say it's too late in the season though but when when I think back of like some of the ding-dongs that we've had in the past you, you were pretty much down and then you beat us out of nowhere and then stayed yeah. up under Hodgson so, so that 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 would be my fear for this weekend
4: well yes but at that time that was three games um, at the end of the season and we were six points from safety at half time and would have seen us absolutely relegated but this is what seven games seven or eight, eight games from, no, seven games from the end of the season. And Fulham are 13 points from safety with, um, I don't know, probably about a minus 150 goals <laughs> of the team in, in 17. <laughs> so unless we beat Manchester City 70-0 and the other teams above us completely capitulate, not picking up a single point between now and uh, the beginning of May, I I, I really don't think we're going to see uh, a, a repeat of the amazing Great Escape back in two thousand and
1: eight. Bob, when you hear that sort of th- th- that kind of attitude from from opposition fans, you, we always sit here and we always say we don't want to be particularly arrogant about how well City are doing, but you know you have to be honest and say you know City are they're aiming to go back top of the table on Saturday. They're a, they're, they're at the moment one of the two best teams in the country, having played a game less. <laughs> it, it must like you must start to feel well, actually you're almost looking ahead of this game does that make sense?
3: You kind of don't take anything for granted of course but most times in football um, the best team usually wins with the better players Mm. so without sounding arrogant you do kind of Look beyond this game and hope you get the three points fairly comfortably. Do, do, you
2: not, do you not recognize that sort of attitude of Fulham fans though? Because we've we've like I've I've felt like that certainly following City in the past. Like where you just feel bereft.
1: I know. I don't. Yeah. It's... yeah that, that's
2: what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I can completely recognize it. And yeah,
4: uh... it's you know I totally understand that, and I don't want to be too downbeat. Like I touched on at the start, um, I still feel like it's a privilege considering where Fulham used to be in my lifetime when I first started going down and where they are now is, is unbelievable. And it's, um, there are still firm Fulham favorites uh, at the club, which I really enjoy seeing and hope that they stay at the club next year. You know, there are still some really good players at the club that I enjoy watching Tom Kearney, just named one. And obviously Ryan Sessegnon, who's going to be lifting the world cup in, in uh, two or three times in the twenties. I, I I'm sure Unfortunately there's there's a lot of things off the pitch which are really, really troubling for Fulham fans at the moment.
1: KC, I just want to ask you, when I mean, with so many big games that City have got between now and the end of the season, like we said before, a maximum of fifteen, is it is it trips like this one where you worry off the back of an international break, you know, the, the momentum from the previous few few weeks they need to kind of get that going again. Is there a danger City can drop the ball in games like this? I actually think the
2: international break's helped us with this. I think because Guardiola is just purely going to be focused, like he's, you know, he's going to be have completely been fully focused on this game coming up. I think if say like Fulham away was in the middle of a run of other big games, I think yes, then there is the potential for for you know to drop the ball. But I think the I I genuinely I just can't see I can't see us not being at it on Saturday. Um, especially when you think of players that won't have been away on international duty like you know David Silva would have had two weeks rest. Aguero's had rest as well. Aguero's had rest you know I, 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 and even players that have been away like Sterling, Sterling's been away but like he's coming back on an absolute high isn't he so I just I, I can't see it this weekend and and it's and you know me normally I'm
1: Incredibly pessimistic. doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah. over that. Uh, <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to—I mean, Kieran mentioned it before about the fact that that Liverpool play on the Sunday. Um, does
3: what? What does it mean for City to to go back top on level games ahead of them playing? Um, I think it's huge because it just puts all the pressure back on them. Because if we drop points on Saturday, um, Liverpool will still be ahead of us because I think they're currently two ahead. So um, that will give them such a huge, huge boost and playing at Anfield in a big game against Tottenham, uh, the crowd will be up for it even more than they probably already are. So I think it's absolutely vital that City, you know, turn up and like Casey was saying. I think they they probably will. Um, they've had the two weeks to sort of focus their minds and the manager has as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting.
1: Well, I thought what we'd do, because uh, th- there's actually quite a few, uh, few links between uh, City and Fulham, so I thought just I'd uh, spring it on you, we'd have a surprise little quiz uh, about, uh, about people who have, who've represented both clubs.
2: Can I just say I hate your face right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a quiz on people with links to City and Fulham. We've got uh, four questions. Um, Farrell is the guest. I'm going to let you uh, you pick to go first. They're all "Who am I?" Uh, if you get it on the first clue, you'll get three points. If you get it on the second clue, you'll get two points. If you get it on the last clue, you'll get one point. But if you have a guess and you get it wrong early, then I'm not going to give you any points. I'm going to hand it over to the team. Is that all right? is it, how, how does that sound? Uh,
4: so yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so
1: uh, <laughs> pick a yeah. number one to four. Which would you like? <laughs> Uh, two number two okay for three points my most recent job in England was as manager of form but I now work in China
4: Uh, I'm gonna take a guess okay Kit Simons it is Kit
1: Simons Okay, the other clues there for uh, for 2 points it was I was I was relegated with City in 1998 and promoted with Fulham in 99 and then for 1 point was I scored the equalizer when City were relegated against Liverpool in 1996. So off the mark with 3 points boys, you're playing as a team. So uh, so what number would you like? Four. number 4. Okay, for 3 points, I managed City in Europe and won European qualification with Fulham.
3: I think I know who it is.
1: You're, yeah, I... You can discuss it between yourselves,
3: but I'll ask for a
1: final answer because obviously, yeah, I, I,
2: I, you reckon it's Leslie?
3: Um, all right, I wasn't thinking of that. That's yeah. I was going to say Keegan. Keegan even managed Fulham.
2: Yeah, yeah, Keegan managed Fulham. Of course, it is. Yeah, yeah. no, but he didn't get European
1: qualification with Fulham, did he? What was the question? I'm not telling you. I, I, I've got the answers in front of me. <laughs> no, what was the question? The question was, I managed City in Europe and won European qualification with Fulham.
2: I'm going to go Leslie.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, Gasler, yeah, Hughes, Hughes, Mark Hughes. It is Mark Hughes for three points. The no second, uh, I didn't have a clue there. <laughs> the second clue was I was, I was manager of one of these clubs directly after being manager of the other, and then the uh, the last clue was I resigned from Fulham citing a lack of ambition, but I was sacked as City boss. Okay, so uh, three, three going into the uh, the final question. Uh, uh, there's numbers one and three left. Which would you like, Farrell? Uh, three. Uh, number three, okay, for three points. I had a season at Fulham, followed by a season at City in the mid two thousands. Um,
4: followed by a season at City in the mid two thousands. Oh, would you? I like- really want to take a. I really want to take a guess, but I'm going to play it safe. Okay.
1: another clue. Okay, so for two points, I also played for, amongst others, Newcastle, Blackburn, and Portsmouth. I know it I think
4: and Portsmouth
1: I'm pretty sure I think I know it
3: I have no idea
1: I I think (laughs) I know it would you like the one point clue yeah go on okay so for one point I had a loan spell with Fulham in the early 90s before making it big at Manchester United yeah definitely did know it
4: oh (laughs) it's Andy Cole
1: it is Andy Cole oh
4: of course
1: Mm. So uh, you've got leeway, boys, on the uh, on the final question. You can you can take it all the way down to one point to get the draw. Um, okay, so for three points, I was sent off on my city debut against Queens Park Rangers, and in my fifth game with Fulham against Portsmouth. That's hard. Yeah, yeah it's for three points. That's why it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> sent sent off, sent off on his city debut against Queens Park Rangers. Sent off in his fifth game with Fulham against Portsmouth.
3: I'm struggling to just think of players that played for both clubs to be honest let alone <laughs> when they got sent off I'm, I'm I think I'm, I know
1: I'm, I'm,
2: I'm, is this, is this I'm, I'm thinking early 90s but anyway right go on go down for the next okay next you want two
1: points I was sold from City by Joe Royal and sold from Fulham by Laurie Sanchez if you don't get on this one the best you can do is draw this is this is tough Ooh, man.
4: that is really tough but I think I know it is we should have swapped questions shouldn't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I've no idea if he played for Fulham, but Teatro? No. No.
1: Would you Would you like to take the draw? Just give me. Give me I a think little you'll get it on the last clue. Assuming they get it on right, the last go, go clue. go on,
2: go for the last clue.
1: Okay, the last clue is: I also played for Sheffield United, Tottenham, Wigan, Portsmouth, Leeds, and Port Vale. Michael Brown. It is Michael Brown. I should yeah. have guessed Michael Brown. There we go. So it's, it finished four all, and I don't have a tie break, so uh, just wasted everybody's <laughs> time. <Sorry about>
4: that. <laughs> So we'll call it a draw on Saturday then? Yeah, yeah let's go yeah. for that. <laughs> a 4 all
2: yeah. draw.
0: For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Okay, Farron, Before we let you go, um, one question I did want to ask about because uh, ticket prices is hot on the agenda for uh, for Fulham fans on Saturday. Um, I, I, if City fans listening to this aren't aware, the uh, that there's a Fulhamish uh, campaign going on on Saturday in the 55th minute, I believe, um, called Stop the Greed. Just to, just explain to us uh, what, what's what's going on there.
4: The background is that Fulham have always been traditionally a quite Affordable match ticket wise. And over the past couple of years, there's been a steady increase of, uh, well, even just, well, I suppose a dramatic in- increase in ticket prices. It started towards the end of last season. And then this season, apart from the first or second home game of the season, the cheapest match tickets available have have risen to 45 pounds. And that's for the what is called the Category B games. And for the Category A games, the cheapest tickets and including Saturday's game is 55 pounds. Fulham fans have raised their concerns with the um, directly through the Fulham Supporters Trust to the club about this all the way back in August and have continued to do so every month up until today. Not only has the club dismissed these concerns, but they have continued to have these ticket prices. There's also quite a considerable amount of policies uh, in regards to match tickets that also alienate fans to the extent. Well, there are a few. So, for example, if you want to um, upgrade a ticket. So if you bought a concession ticket, whether it's over 65, a young person, you don't pay some sort of upgrade fee. You don't pay the difference in between the two tickets. You just have to pay for a full adult price. Again, uh, the priority is not given to season ticket holders to buy extra tickets. The priority is given to members and not just members, any new members. So regardless of purchasing history or anything like that. So, um, for example, at the last um, home game against Liverpool, if you just watch Ryan Babble's equaliser, you can get a sense of how many away fans were in the home areas. There were literally hundreds. That is not an understatement of how many Liverpool fans were able to secure tickets ahead of genuine Fulham fans. Six out of every 10 supporters say that they have attended less matches this year purely based on the cost of the ticket, which is quite frankly unacceptable. The fact that the club have turned it around and said, no, we don't recognise this as, a, as an issue. The fact that it's actually pricing out our our genuine football supporters is is ridiculous. And football owners from other clubs and people who are the, who, who run these, these, these clubs can actually say, well, you know, if Fulham can get away with charging fans through the nose, then maybe we can get away with it. And this is something that we we don't want. We decided to make some banners to show at the 55th minute during the game because that is the cheapest ticket uh, for Saturday's game. Um, The the club found out, well, we we spoke to them about it and they said, no, absolutely not, we're not doing it. They did cite health and safety reasons, but they did also come back and say the banners were not supported of, of the team, which is... Which we found quite funny because they were quite welcoming to hundreds of Liverpool fans uh, through the through the gates um, a couple of weeks ago.
1: I suppose the the sad thing is, Casey, it's it's not a new story, is it? It's it's something that a lot of clubs have seen.
2: Well, I think every time I come on here, I abso- I go to town, and, <laughs> I go to town on the club about the state of tickets. Uh, I I think everything that you've said there, Farrell, is just incredibly well said, um, and it's I think it's something that all football fans should get behind. Um. It, It really winds me up, you know, when you get sort of say quote unquote rival fans saying, Oh, like, you know, you can't do this or this is what your type of fans are like or, you know, without taking into account socio socioeconomic differences, you know, price costs that are put in place by the clubs because let's face it, people running football clubs don't don't give two shiny shites about fans anymore. It's absolutely appalling the way that fans are treated up and down the country, especially in the Premier League when it comes to money. Um, I, I really, I think, I think what you're doing is a great, um, a a great way to sort of highlight and address it. Um, my my only fear is that football clubs won't actually notice until, until people start walking out of games. It's, it's the only thing that I can I can think of. I, like, I'm I'm sick to death of the way that, the way that City treat price hikes and yours sounds even worse. To be fair, um, especially like you say, it's it's not just it's not just increasing costs it's it's changing it's cha- changing the demographic of who actually goes and watches mm. Fulham um i think all fans have stereotypes about them and stuff like that but i think your your fans are generally it's generally quite a positive stereotype that it's like quite a friendly and welcoming club for a lot of people so so it's yeah it's and and as i say it it doesn't really get highlighted i wasn't aware of that you guys are going through this issue at all you know there's nowhere you know there's no media outlets that are sort of supporting fulham that i can see that you know the fans in the ticket price sort of scenario it seems to have completely gone under the radar
4: fulham has become now the third most expensive team to to support at home in the country this is not season tickets by the way because the season tickets were actually quite reasonably priced if you bought them if you renewed effectively before the club knew that they were going to be promoted Um, For example, if my my season ticket is just less than 600 pounds, but you can get pick up season tickets behind the goal for I think it's 350 pounds. Sorry, I don't if I don't get my facts correct. If you didn't renew and you were a new season ticket holder after they knew that the promotion happened, my season ticket would have been 250 pounds more expensive. You know, they're definitely valuing revenue over supporters. The fact that in some parts of the ground, there is no discount for for concessions regardless if you're um, an adult if you are a young person or if you are a child you still pay uh, the full price to call ourselves a family club is is not the case anymore we can't do that and I was going to mention that uh, match uh, match city was was um, was one of those was one of those clubs that's a little bit more expensive for us which was quite surprising because obviously Manchester city is owned by a very 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 rich person the same way that fulham are it's not like they need the money and you know we're not critical of the investment they put into the club at all but you know charging 10 to 15 pounds less on a on a on a match day is not going to throw the club under it's not going to make them unsustainable at all you know they are just trying to squeeze every little penny out of us. It, it's it's unbelievable. We, yes. we
1: we wish you all the best with the uh, with the protest because uh, I mean it's it's something that uh, City fans I'm sure will want to see prices come down at their own club. So it uh, it kind of works across the board, doesn't it? I'm going to turn the attention uh, back towards uh, the the actual game on on Saturday because we have a charity bet coming up later on in the show. Um, and normally on this one, because I'm useless, I always give uh, whenever we've got a guest and I give my prediction over to them. So uh, so what are you having for
4: that? Prediction for Saturday: I am going to go for a two-all draw.
1: A, uh, a two-all draw. We'll uh, we'll put the odds uh, in the in the show a bit later on. But for now, thank you very much for uh, for joining us on uh, on this week's show.
4: Thank you very much, guys. Been a pleasure.
1: Right, we well, moving on. And next month sees the release of a feature film about City's legendary goalkeeper Bert Trautman. City fan and actor John Henshaw is in the movie, and I've been speaking to him about how he ended up getting involved with the keeper.
5: I just got a phone call. That's a, a, a casting in London. Dan Hubbard, give me a ring and I went to see the director, Marcus Rossmuller, um, And he, he was a Ken Loach fan, and I've, I've been lucky enough to do a couple of lo- uh, Ken Loach f- films, so uh, on the grounds of that, he wanted me to do this film about Troutman, and uh, as soon as, of course, he mentioned Troutman, me being a Manchester City supporter, uh, I, was, I was down there, I just went and had a pint with him, and that was it, you know. They drifted on for a couple of years, so, you know, they got funding and everything else organised, but uh, and then, you know, lo and behold, three years later, it's in the can, he said.
1: What I mean, like you say, you jumped at it like, like a shot. What, what, invo- what was involved with, with making the film?
5: First thing, we wanted to try and get it done here. We couldn't get the funding here, so we went to Belfast uh, and we went to Munich because we got the money off Ireland and Germany. So, you know, we had a bit of rehearsal in London, then we went to, started in, in Belfast for a few weeks and then went over to Germany to finish it off. But, um, but for me, there was not a lot of research on it, really, because I knew the period well um, and it was based uh, set in St. Ellen's, you know, so uh, being a Lancashire lad, uh, there, there was no sort of like I didn't have to do a lot of research myself you know, just turn up really and uh, remember the words
1: In terms of, of, of a story where when you, when you consider some of the stories that footballers have had Bert Trollmans is, is up there with, with some of the best
5: Oh an incredible man You know, uh, uh, not just as a footballer but as a man himself you know, he's uh, been through hell of a life you know, he was indoctrinated into to the, the Nazi party if you like, and then uh, he, he won the Iron Cross over there and then he was captured over here and he, he said himself, you know, he didn't know anything else, really. And he wasn't until he seen films, uh, showreels of the concentration camps that he realised what had gone on, you know. Um, and he obviously liked it over there because he stayed here, you know. I play Jack Fryer, who was like the coach, as you would say, of them times the St. Helens Club, and he eventually married my daughter and, and sort of made his life over there. He, he said, like, um, he was born in Germany, but he grew up in Manchester, you know.
1: Did you learn anything about his, his story from making the film
5: yeah of course well you know it filled in a lot of gaps for me you know um uh, you, you talk to people and of course the people that done the film and we had uh, you know um we had consultants on like gary you know and um so it, it fills in uh, stuff i didn't know and I, I did manage to talk to people at main etihad i always say, maybe no but at the etihad who was sitting and one of the two people that like fred air and what i you really, actually knew him uh, and had a story to tell you know some which i cannot tell on the air you know.
1: Did you did you get to see him play when you were younger?
5: I did actually, I went to see him when I was about seven, I went to Main Road and I, I seen him a few times then at home games and all that, you know, and uh, a striking figure you know, six foot odd, German, blonde guy, who, who uh, everybody idolised, you could tell every time he got near the ball, you know, so that was great you know, I mean, I, I'm glad to see that And uh, I never actually met him, I spoke to him which is a shame, you know, he passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, total respect for the man
1: why, I mean, City fans will, will obviously be drawn to the film. Why do you think they should go and see it?
5: Well, it's not, it's not just about football. Right? I have to emphasise, it's about 20% football. Uh, and obviously, you know, and at first, you know, the majority of the time is at St. Helens. It's only later on that he goes to City, uh, credit to City, who take him on and, um, you know, accept him in spite of, uh, you know, all the baggage he's bringing with him. Um, uh, but the, the film is also it's a little bit of romance in it? You know, it's, a, it's about a guy that's um, struggling for the acceptance and, you know, it's like, it's a, you know, as you say, you've got the OBE over there in the end, You, had, you sort of goes from Aero to zero to or if you like, you know. Uh, he must have been an incredibly strong-minded person, you know, so fair play to him. <laughs>
0: Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
5: John
1: Henshaw speaking to me there about his role in the new film, The Keeper. Uh, Now then, uh, obviously we're talking that City have got two games this week. Um, The the second game is midweek next week against Cardiff. We're uh, delighted to say we're joined by Scott from uh, View from the Ninian Podcast. Scott, good evening.
6: Hi guys how are you
1: um not too bad thanks just to to, to kick off how are cardiff fans feeling about uh, about this season so far because uh, just looking at the table, two points off safety, but it it kind of feels like that that doesn't really tell the whole story
6: yeah i mean i think if you if you go back to the start of the season and and if you you know given us this scenario, we all would have taken it you know before even a ball was kicked, we were being written off left right, and center i think. Uh, chris sutton said we'd we'd break derby's record of the lowest points total which i think is is 10 points or something like that so you know we really were the underdog so coming in with you know we're two points off off safety with a game in hand um is a, is a brilliant situation and credit to you know the team that have, have pulled deep every time you know we our resources are much lower than anyone else in in the uh in the league and and the squad quality, you know, we all know that we've probably not got the quality that, that all the other teams do. But, you know, we're fighters in battle and, you know, we've dug out and dug deep in, in a lot of games to, to get points. But, you know, we've got a difficult running now. So, um will <laughs> be interesting to see what happens. But we're there, we're fighting and that's all you can ask for.
1: KC, I, want, I mean, at this stage of the season, this is where you start getting the odds kind of strange result here and there when teams are fighting for points down the bottom. City could do um, Cardiff a favour by beating Fulham in, in the weekend before, but uh, it's it's kind of one of them games where you just think, you know, again, is it one where City could drop the ball? Yeah, for, for, forgive me if I'm wrong, I don't think Cardiff will
2: necessarily be looking down towards Fulham. I think they'll be looking up towards Burnley, really. <laughs> yeah, um, I um, think Fulham
6: and Huddersfield are out of it now. Yeah,
2: um, I think... Um, what makes me feel more positive about it is just generally the way that Warnock will approach fixtures and things. So I thought you said fixtures and fittings then. <laughs> <laughs> uh No, it's so I I think generally he targets specific games that he that he thinks that he thinks he can get results out of, and I don't think over the you know I don't think he's going to be looking at City away as one. Don't get me wrong, I fully expect him to have. The defense, you know, the defense set up well, and plenty of men packed behind the ball and try and hit us on the break with with Murphy or Reid or whoever. But I, I think I, I don't think he will be putting all of his eggs in a city basket with the games that they've got coming up. I think he will be focusing on the games that are coming up after us. Um, as I say, I might probably probably will have to eat my words, but I I, I think I think he's. Arguably, one of the most pragmatic managers in the league, and
1: I think that's the way he's going to be viewing it. How's he been this season, Scott?
6: Well, so what's been interesting this season is is largely, you know, that has been uh, Warnock's approach, and you know, last season the Championship as well. And although I do think we've we, we played better football football than people give us credit for, but against the the top six, so to speak, he's almost looked at them as a free hit, and and he spoke about that early on in saying we've got nothing to lose. We're, we're probably going to get beaten anyway. Um, so let's go for it and in some of the games it, it's worked out okay you know we took the lead against Chelsea we probably should have got a draw out of Arsenal um earlier on in the season but you know against against you guys earlier on in the season against United in, in Solskjaer's first game it just really didn't work and and those as a fan sat in the stands you kind of felt oh I I wish we'd parked the bus here but but he hadn't but you know with with seven or eight games left to go when you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, yourselves and Man United to come, I think he's got to be pragmatic. He's, he's got to park the bus and, and do that. But on a whole this season, he, he's been great. And, you know, he's, like I mentioned earlier, the quality is not there in, in comparison to the rest of the, of the division. So, you know, he's really had to, to inspire the players and, and through difficult circumstances as well, you know, with the Emiliano Salah tragedy. So, you know, hats off to Warnock and, you know, a Cardiff legend but I think we all think this will be his last season in management so um I hope he goes out on a high.
1: Bob for City it's City's game in hand over Liverpool we've already talked about the importance of going top for City ahead of them playing on the Sunday how so what kind of effect would going top outright again kind of
3: having for the running? Well I think I said it was huge about the other question. And so it must be even huger? Yeah it's <laughs> absolutely massive um but I mean, joking aside, I do think just every game between now and the end of the season is so important. Uh that being said, I would imagine we'll have some rotation in the squad for the Cardiff game. Um so like I would expect to see Mahrez play probably Sane if he doesn't play on Saturday. Um but you know, you like to think at home we've still got the sort of tools to get the job done.
1: All that worries me is you. You look at a few of those games at home this season, where City, you know, for instance, haven't had Fernandinho. or they've they've put Mares and uh, and Sane in over Sterling and and uh, Bernardo this season, and you end up with that that kind of five or ten percent drop, and a result like Crystal Palace happens.
3: Yeah that is true it has it has happened um and we've also seen it more recently where he's had to hook some of the players quite early i think was it west ham where we really had to battle hard for that result and got a penalty in the end i think but i think mares got pulled off quite early in that game and bernardo and sterling both came on so that is a worry but i think if you're going to rotate you do it at a home fixture uh, rather than an away fixture at this time of the season
1: Scott, which players for for Cardiff uh, that, that that you know maybe we don't know about are going to be key to uh, to getting any sort of result at the Etihad?
6: Well, I think that our best player is is Victor Camarasa, who, um, who who Guardiola might know from his time in Spain. We've got him on loan from Real Betis, and he's he's the one one of the few players that have just got that that absolute you know class in him, and he scored a few belting goals this season, and and just he takes the time on the ball, which is great. But um, the player that that perhaps might um, might cause trouble for City that that hasn't got, you know, the best reputation in the Premier League is Umar Nias, who he hasn't scored a goal for us since he joined in January, but he's really transformed the way that we've played. And we we're playing Callum Patterson up, up top um earlier on in the season, who we signed as a right back, which kind of says it all about, you know, our, our fortunes earlier on in the season. But Nias has come in, he's got that pace and he he's allowed us to maybe play a bit deeper and hit teams in behind, you know, play those long balls in behind the defence and you know, if City do do rotate, and I'm not sure uh, what your squad's looking at, at the moment, but if Vincent Company or someone like that comes in, who who may be a bit older, you know, not as quick as the like of like Laporte, then he might be able to cause that that trouble in behind.
1: Okay, say so with the games they can fast. How will Guardiola manage the squad? Well, I think well
2: to use Laporte as an example, Laporte starts every game because he doesn't he do, he gets international rest, don't he? Because he doesn't get picked for France, Um but as i say stones is coming back off an injury so i'd expect him to be playing as well i i as i say i'd be worried about cardiff on on the break and and maybe as i say from from the odd corner um and 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 things like that but in terms of play you know it's one of them games where you'd be expecting about 75% possession um but whether you know that doesn't always work and you can lose those games but i think i i, I as i say i'm i'm oddly
1: confident about these two games because normally I'm I'm very wary of a banana skin <laughs> um I, I we did it in the, uh, in the with the previous guest with Fulham, and uh, we we had a really good quiz. But because we're definitely not padding on International Week, I thought we'd do another one because uh, <laughs> these two in the studio absolutely love a good quiz. Don't
2: I just
0: you?
1: say it again? I hate your face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this week's second
1: quiz is on past meetings between City and Cardiff. Okay, so this time around uh, we're not doing uh, who am I for this one. This one is uh, three questions uh, each. You've got we've got three Cardiff questions for uh, for Scott, and then uh, three City questions for you two. You again, you're working as a team. Um, Scott, as our guest, would you like to go first or second?
6: I'll oh, go first. Get out of the way. OK, um, <laughs> so
1: question number one. Who scored for Cardiff to knock City out of the FA Cup in
6: 1994? Oh, that's, a, that's an easy start. Probably one of the most famous goals in Cardiff's history was Nathan Blake. It
1: yeah. was Nathan Blake. I, uh, you know, there's not that many meetings between City and Cardiff recently. Uh, no, so I
2: was, I, I was, I was going to say... Like, I, I, even, don't if, pull if, your face if, at if, me, if, Casey. If, if, even I knew
1: that when I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so Trank, you two. Tranker right? <laughs> Question number one on the uh, on the City side. The first goal given by Goal Line Technology was scored in City 4, Cardiff 2. Who scored it?
3: It was Dzeko, wasn't it? Go for it, mate. Edin Dzeko.
1: It was Edin Dzeko. 1-1. So, uh, over to you, Scott. Uh, who was sent off for Cardiff in last season's FA Cup meeting between the two teams?
6: Oh... Well, mind saying Joe Bennett because of that tackle, but well, I'm going to go Joe Bennett. He should have been sent off for that tackle if he wasn't.
1: He should have been sent off for that tackle, and he was sent off later on in the game. Yeah, it, was it was for uh, Brahim Diaz. Wasn't it, it was. Yeah. It was a second yellow card late on in the game. Uh, so two one uh, to Scott. Uh, you two on to question two. Who almost retired in 2010 before leaving City for Cardiff on a season long loan? Craig Bellamy. I don't know. Bob shaking his head. <laughs> Craig, Are you happy to go with that? Craig Bellamy. I am. It was Craig Bellamy. <laughs> okay, so Scott, to. Uh, I think it was Shaw sure, then. <laughs> to, uh, for your final question: uh, Who scored Cardiff's last winning goal over City?
6: Oh, winning goal. It was Aaron Gunnison in the first game, off, maybe the first home game of the season in 2013.
1: It was the first home game for you guys in 2013, but I haven't got Aaron Gunnison, I've got Fraser
6: Campbell. Uh, yes Gunnarsson scored in that game but they yeah Campbell Fraser Campbell got there. the last one so first, you can...
1: first day of my honeymoon that ruined it <laughs> <laughs> sorry to bring back any painful memories there. um so you can win it um who was city manager last time they lost to Cardiff
3: well it was that game wasn't it yes yeah, yeah,
1: so it's that game so it's Pellegrini it was Pellegrini I wrote these questions the wrong wrong way round so that one should have gone before that one but who knows <laughs> there yeah. we go so uh, very sorry Scott but it's uh, it's gone to city on this occasion.
6: No, I'm sure that's a prediction of how the game will go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now.
1: Right. Well, the international break is over, and that brings us back to domestic action with the charity bet for this season. The season so far, we've raised eight hundred and twenty-eight pounds for the Christie a Cancer Hospital in Manchester. William Hill is giving each member of the team a ten-pound correct score single, with the winnings going to charity. Uh, we've already heard from Farrell on the Fulham side of things. He said two-two for that game, which is twenty-eight to one. So two hundred and eighty quid if he's right. Uh, Casey, what are you having for uh, for City against Fulham? Uh I'm going for three nil. Three nil is eleven to two, that's fifty five pounds, Bob. Uh two one to City. Two one City is ten to one, so a hundred pounds. And then uh, for Cardiff, what uh what are you have in KC? Uh five nil. Five nil, no offence, Scott, sorry about that. Uh is nine to one, so ninety quid if you're right, Bob. I'm going for four nil, David. Uh four nil is six to one, uh so that's sixty pounds. And uh, Scott, what are you having for uh, for that game? Uh
6: I'll give it to you guys but I'll go for a two one Man City win.
1: Two one is twelve to one, so that would be one hundred and twenty quid if you're right, Scott. You got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware. Uh, now then, Scott, before we uh, before we let you go, just uh, one final question on uh, on the game. Um, obviously, it's Chelsea beforehand for you guys, and then City. How are you? How are your nerves holding up for this week?
6: Yes, yeah, not not the ideal uh, run after the international break, but. Um... I think that Chelsea is is the one out of the big teams that that we're facing you know yourselves Liverpool and um, United Chelsea are the game you know at home that that we're looking at and thinking you know we could cause an upset even even nick a draw but um not ideal games coming up and not not ideal for our game in hand over Burnley to be to be Manchester City but um get this week out of the way and then then Burnley Brighton are the big games coming up
1: well, if you, if you fancied focusing on them and just ignoring this week, I'm sure uh, City fans would be, uh, be happy to go with that. But, uh, but no, for, for now, thank you very much for, for joining us on this week's show. Uh, cheers for having me. So then moving on and the season is about to head into the home stretch and all the focus is on the first team's efforts to win the quadruple but we're going to take a bit of time out now to check in with the EDS and the Academy. I've caught up with our expert Sean Blinkhorn and I started by asking him about this season's scores.
7: I think there's a lot of interest for City fans from the scholarship group this year especially when you look like you say when you look at the names um, there's just in this one group of 14 players there's the descendants of Mike Doyle, Clint Pardo, Paul Molden and Sean Wright Phillips just in that one group.
1: So quite the, a perfect city history. Yeah, exactly.
7: Now. Yeah. So the, much like adding to Colin Rosler, that's already there. You know, you, you're looking at quite a bit of interest already. On top of that, obviously, we want to see some of them progress. It would be ideal if one of those uh, descendants progressed, obviously. But there's a few more that might be worth keeping an eye on as well out of that group. When it comes to to their development and how's it how's it going for them? Well, I wanted to talk. There's a couple of standout names I'd have thought. Other than that, you look at the big money signings this year. We've we've paid a million pounds for 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 the then sixteen-year-old Ben Knight from Ipswich, and we've paid whatever fee it was for for Jaden Braff from from Holland as well. And while I'd, I'd hesitate to to crucify them, I mean the young lads moving away from home at such a young age, uh, especially in Jaden's case, it would be harsh to go down too heavy on them. But I do think we need to see a bit more from them next year as they step up into the second year. Um another sign in who's been a, a little bit longer, Alfred De Oncu, the, the Spanish import, he, he's kind of been overshadowed by a rejuvenated and growing Jeremy Frimpong. He's he's kind of fell down the pecking order in his in his first year. So again a, a bit more would be would be kinda of expected next year, hopefully. And Gavin Bazunu as well. I was quite surprised this uh the last few weeks young Curtis Anderson. Who was the under-17s keeper for the for the World Cup for England has has moved on to to America, and probably a lot of that's got to do with the the Irish keeper Gavin Bazunu moving him. Other than that, I'd say Luis Fiorini, uh, Roy McDonald, and young junior right Phillips have all had you know, fair to middle seasons, nothing really worth shouting about, but progressing relatively well. The two that really stand out for me personally. Taylor Harwood Bellis he's is someone who came from from the under sixteens, one of my colleagues described him to me as a defender who loves to defend, as opposed to a lot of the defenders that are that are coming through the ranks these days that are kind of more like uh, defensive midfielders that have been pushed backwards and told to stay where they were. Taylor does have that reputation. He can pass the ball as well. It's not you know it's not a crux for him. He he can capacity, he can he's very strong in the tackle, he's He's from Stockport as well, which is, which is an important point. Just adding to the whole representation we're getting from there these days. Strong strong Stockport area <laughs> yeah. for, for City, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah. And there's a few more coming through, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, so Taylor, he's, he's one who's gone straight into the EDS uh, rather than uh, wasting time with the under-18s on the whole. I mean, he has played, and obviously the Youth Cup is is a completely different uh, kettle of fish when it comes to that. The other name is Tommy Doyle, one from the group that I mentioned before, with his his two big name descendants, he um, he's an all action all action midfielder. He, he's, he is good to watch. He's, he's got that bit of bite in him that fans like to see, and uh, and he, he's also an incredible striker of a dead ball. I mean, I don't think enough's been made of in, in the previous round of the youth cup. He uh, he he did something which I don't think I've, I see very often on a football pitch. He took an outside of the foot pinpoint corner onto Eric Garcia's head he didn't have to even move he just kind of flicked his head and it went it was incredible God wait and an outside of the foot outside corner. of the foot yeah he, he drilled it at Eric Garcia's head it was incredible <laughs> you've got to go back and watch it it was fantastic I've never seen that in senior football yeah I know exactly I, I thought I'd never seen it before but he, he's that sort of player and he can score a free kick and he can you know he takes the penalties he's he when I say all action I really really mean it he's he's um he has played for the under 18s a little bit more the league side under 18s I should say um he kind of he had an injury with with England under 17s over the summer so he's kind of had to feel his way back in a little bit but more or less he's gone straight in with the EDS and he's really he kicked on this season he really does stand out along with along with Taylor
1: obviously coming up is the uh, the youth cup semi final for city uh, youth cups obviously big in in city's past where where are they for for this season
7: so coming up very shortly um I think Monday the first is the semi final. Uh, The format's actually changed for the Youth Cup this season, so it's now a one-legged semi and a one-legged final. And uh, we're at home uh, against West Brom for the semi, and I believe the if we get through, you know, Touchwood, the final would be at home as well against Liverpool. Definitely, they've already got through. West Bromham have got a strong, strong side to be honest. They've they've beat Arsenal and Everton on the way to this this final. With who also have strong groups this year. You know, it's not it's not a case of them being on the downturn. From our point of view, I think it's the best way to see all of the 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 stronger of the 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 first year groups that I've talked about because they will get to play just a lot less of them as you'd have thought than in recent years. The second year is much much stronger than this year's group. I think. You'll see a mostly second year group, but you probably will see Taylor and, and Tommy, with one or two more exceptions, hopefully. But yeah, it's a, it's a big competition. They'll be, they'll be making a big deal of it. Uh, I'm hoping for a big crowd, and uh, we can uh, hopefully push on through to the final because it's, it's going to be very, very important to the, the higher ups at Cities Academy to win this trophy.
0: Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Sean Blinkhorn chatting to me about the City EDS and Academy. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Send in your questions on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, and get us on our brand new Instagram page as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Lewis Shaw has been in touch on the emails to ask, What do you think about Raheem Sterling's comments on racism in the game? And do you think it will finally prompt some serious action against it? now for this bit I, I thought what we'd do is first off let's hear what Raheem Sterling had to say to ITV sports after the England
8: game in Montenegro personally I didn't hear anything today um, but a few of my teammates um, said they heard it from the dugout um, and it was just a reaction to tell them we know that we're, we're black and there's nothing that we're that we don't know so that was that was all that that was for us just to say we, we know and, and and there's not much we could do about it but you obviously felt it was important to make that. Gesture on the field to, to to bring it to people's attention. Yeah, um, them things can't go unspoken about. You got to speak speak about it. It's 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 2019 now, and you know it's getting a bit silly. Um, and I think just to rub it in their wounds a little bit more. Just simple as that. We were winning. Um, and just let to know that that's not going to affect us. You've got, you've got to come better than that. What do you hope happens, though? Because this keeps happening. And um, may,
1: maybe some feel the punishments, punishments should be tougher.
8: Yeah, there's got to be... You know, there's so much that can happen in football. you can't be, you know, every other game. There's got to be something to, you know, completely stop this. Because, you know, at the end of the day, players are playing. You know, there's, there's a football match. People get emotional. But... You know, to then be put down by your skin colours is, is, is completely wrong, and I think it's time that you know there, there's a stance. I don't know UEFA, whoever. I mean, yeah, UEFA, whoever it is, we need to to do something that, that's going to make these people think and, and and not do it again. And you obviously feel it's important to use your position to speak out, not be quiet. Yes, yeah, it gets to a point where you know you don't want to constantly be speaking about right? because at the end of the day, we're footballers. But at the same time, we, we try to make people aware of it and we got to make the people in charge decide what, what's the best things to do.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Raheem Sterling speaking to ITV Sports. Um, it's a bit difficult for us in the studio to, to kind of address this issue because without being kind of too insensitive on the topic. We're three white men talking about racism and it's not something that I feel particularly comfortable going into. Um so what we've done, this is what Nader Manua and Leon Mike had to say when they were discussing the situation with racism in the game on the Blue Moon podcast after the Sterling incident at Chelsea earlier in the
9: season. I think being being raised in Manchester in the nineties, I did experience a few things. My whole family did, because we you know we came from we came from Nigeria and We were, at the time, I think one of the very few, if not the only, black family that was in Miles Platting around that time. So our people saw us as being very different and they treated us as being very different almost from the get-go and throughout my entire time there. And it it wasn't nice, to be honest, it was a tough time, especially because we were trying to adapt to a new country and people just weren't really willing to help us achieve that. Obviously, some people were, but I'll be honest, the vast majority weren't. And then time passed and I'd go and... I joined Man City's Academy when I was 10 and we played in a few international tournaments and some of the places that you'd go in some of the countries and some of the teams that you'd see, some of them never, couldn't speak a word of English except for to be able to swear at you or to say like an N-word to me. And it was strange because I just thought to myself like, what is, what is this? Is this, is this what I am? Is this what the world is? And in fairness, it, it got better over time. And I think a lot of that was because people's voices started to be heard now you know if someone said they were offended you know people and the authorities and so on started to finally try and get behind them and support them instead of ridiculing them because it's hard some it's a lot of the time it's hard to be the minority trying to in a group of ten one or two people saying something people listen to what you're going to say but the fact is the eight are the ones who are going to make the decisions whereas now i feel like more people are going to listen and understand and you know pay attention as such
10: i've had it um as i would suggest most if not all other black players or um players of uh, um, ethnicity i've had in the game um my first um, experience of it was playing for my town team trafford boys Uh, i was only 30 at the time and um i was called a a name by a boy i had no idea what it was he called me so I asked him what it was, and he had no idea himself. And the game just carried on. And uh, yeah, I had it in, in my professional career as well, from players and from from fans of the the opposite. Um, you know, the opposite club we were playing against. So, um, as long as I can remember, there's a preconception that black players are lazy, and you've got to work them hard, and then you have with other people and. I remember my dad telling me, you know, as a as a black man going into you know football, you're gonna to have to be twice as good as as your white counterparts, and you're gonna to have to work twice as harder. And um, so it's been there, you know, as as long as I can remember. Um, and it it's hard because you don't want to be seen with as the guy in the changing room with a chip on your shoulder, which has been said many a time. But at the same time, well. If I can see it, why can't you? You can't just let it slide either, can you? You can't, can't just you? let it slide, but there is that—that that sort of. I think it's just an understanding, um, you know, of of what the player's actually going through at the time. You know, if you're being, uh, you know, having racial abuse hurled at you um, week in week out, then you know you're not going to go home feeling very good about yourself. Have we been complacent about tackling it? Do you think? <sighs> um, complacent, maybe. i would go as far as saying neglectful. Uh, Yeah, we have, uh, you know, kick it out and show races in the red card, but they happen on a day. The players wear a T-shirt, they wave a couple of flags and then it's over. Um, What needs to happen? This is is, um, what it is for me. Um, If someone feels comfortable that they can spout racial abuse at somebody, whether it be on the pitch or whether it be from the stand, if someone feels comfortable... Then the conditions are right for them to feel comfortable. If you make the conditions that they feel uncomfortable doing that, then it's going to stop, you know. And that doesn't mean we eradicate racism because it just happens behind closed doors. Then, so what needs out there to be a culture of, um, you know, uh, zero tolerance. And also, as I say, the press have got a big responsibility. People, you keep saying that, you know, the race reported doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, it does. Um, and if you if you create or cultivate a culture of hate and, you know, um, prejudice then that's going to fester. And again, it's not just football, it's society. You're listening to the Blue Moon
0: Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Nader Manua and Leon Mike there. Um, So, I mean, the the second part of that question is something that I think we can address. Um, Lewis asks, do you think it will finally prompt some serious action in the game? And the one thing I've noticed, certainly surrounding Sterling this season, is that the discourse around it has has it started to gather a bit of momentum.
2: Yeah, but I don't think anything will change. Just because the discourse around Sterling has changed doesn't necessarily mean the issue of racism has changed in the game. I think the way the the, the fervent relish that the English media has sort of reported this Montenegrin racism as if we don't have any issues in our country has been, I think, absolutely appalling. I've not seen any mention of West Ham this week. I've not seen any mention of Millwall. I've not seen any mention of the Arsenal stuff. You know, um, the way there's been no inward reflection from our own media about the way that they've treated Sterling themselves. It's just sort of like, hey, this is a this is a, a brilliant a brilliant thing that we can highlight so that we can claim to be liberal and address this point of racism. while well, really, they're doing they're doing nothing about it. I don't think they're highlighting it properly. I think I, I don't mean to tart everyone with the same brush. Let me just clarify on that. I just I'm more talking about the structural racism that is in the UK media in general is still there. It's still rife, and I don't think something like this will change it one iota. Because I think if anything, issues like this give them the opportunity of a get out of jail free card for them to say, "Look, we addressed it when it was in Montenegro," without actually. We're not addressing it in England, we're not addressing it in Britain. I think it's. I think it'll just carry on, and I think you can see the problems getting worse in wider society, if anything.
3: Yeah, I mean, I find it hard not to be cynical about the coverage Sterling's had, because when it was really bad a few years ago, it was popular to dislike him, so therefore the paper's ran stories to that effect and now it seems more popular to support him so therefore they're doing the same and it's just sort of sell papers as far as i can tell or get clicks on websites it's without diverting the
1: point too much it's it's kind of it's kind of the the fake news aspect of things if that makes sense because what what's happened is a lot of media have seen oh this gets clicks so you end up kind of diverging towards that point and all of a sudden the actual lines between what is, in the fake news argument, what is truth and what's what's not true, we can't even agree on the meaning of words anymore. That, 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 that's why, when I'm sort of trying to address it, I'm not saying individual journalists
2: necessarily. are oh, racist, yeah. I, I think the, there is a much wider... There is a structural issue in society with racism that you just cannot get away... You can't get away from it. But one of the biggest pillars of that structure is the media in this country... And I know that you know journalism in terms of sports journalism people like to separate it in terms of the west the rest of wider society, but it clearly infiltrates it in the way that the reporting goes on and i I don't see it changing unless there's massive structural changes in this country where the the the, the, the f a don't do enough um i think I think Southgate spoke very well on it, but I think there's only it needs to be an institutional change, not on an individual basis. And I think even some of the reporting on it that, oh, didn't, didn't Hudson-Odoi speak well? Didn't Sterling speak well? You know, it's that kind of, like, leaving it to the individuals who are the victims in all this. I just It just doesn't sit comfortably with I was
1: me. just about to say, the one thing that doesn't sit comfortably with me is, is the fact that it shouldn't be on those people to make yeah. that point. Yeah. It should, you know, it's... As daft as it sounds... Sa- well, as not daft as it sounds, it, it is what it is. You know, Raheem Sterling shouldn't have to defend his right to exist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's appalling. Like that, yeah. That's just that-
3: When <laughs> you put it like that, I mean, that really just hits hits a nail on the head for me. It's just absolutely insane that it's happening like semi regularly. It's like twice for him this season already. It's outrageous. And I, I agree, completely agree uh, with the general point. I just don't think it will change anything. And I fear... This will happen again, and he'll have to speak out again, and then the same. Sort then we
1: go, oh, didn't he speak well? And then you know we forget it three weeks later when it happens again, yeah. and you know the, the whole cycle starts again.
2: The thing that worries me though is not that the whole cycle starts again; it's that the Overton window shifts and the cycle starts again, and we end up talking about this, but from a worse position this at this time next year, and a worse position slightly the year after, and the year after. It's already way beyond what it should be. You know, there's there's people like to think there was a magical point in time where racism didn't didn't exist. It's always been there. It's always been a massive structural problem, and people aren't addressing it. People like to sweep it under it under the carpet and pretend it's not there a lot of the time. But it is, and it's just in wider society. And I think unless there's wholesale changes in society, then this thing's just going to get worse.
1: You you know, it's only just occurred to me that um, we're talking about Raheem Sterling and racist incidents. Uh, I remembered ahead of the Manchester derby, was it uh, last season or the season before, um, Sterling was assaulted at the CFA? Yeah, and it was a racially motivated was that, assault. Was that
2: the derby? Or was it before Spurs? I thought it
1: was on the morning of the derby. Oh, but maybe. Yeah. It was. I thought
3: it was just the Tottenham match, wasn't it? It might
1: yeah. have been the Tottenham yeah. match. It doesn't so really matter. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter context, is it? Yeah. But but you t- you take the point again. Yeah. It's it's something now that we look at. If it was either last season or the season before, it's you know it's it's three times in oh, yeah. three seasons. Mm. It's just it's it's something that is is coming back and back. And just to to kind of pick up on your point, uh, Casey, about um, about changes in the media. As somebody who's worked in you know a number of newsrooms in my lifetime one thing i can tell you is the newsrooms i've worked in generally not that diverse you look to like things like american football where they've
2: got things as basic as the rooney rule and how much controversy that that causes and why we don't have even like little baby steps of something like that in this country um in in all walks of life not just in terms of sport and i just you can see society's getting worse it's fault you know it it wasn't exactly holding up well a few years ago but it's it's cr- it's crumbling at the minute and i just i i, I can only see um so, so let's say fringe aspects of horrible parts of society getting worse i think
3: the problem with the whole sterling coverage is it's viewed in as like in the bubble of football fandom uh, and that isn't really where the problem s- starts from it's just a sort of symptom of wider society because obviously Structural benefit
2: of having white privilege. It's easy to forget, like you know, because it's in the media now. It's like I, I'm, I'm, you know, this time next week, will I be thinking about it? Probably not, because of quote unquote white privilege. And the the answer is is get involved in the community and do more in 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 wider community issues and and do more. That that to me would be the answer and build sort of grassroots things. But
1: I've like I'll be open and honest with you. I'm I'm crap at that. Right, well, it, it seems quite a quite a harsh note to end on, but uh, time has beaten us, unfortunately, for this Sorry. week uh, on the show. <laughs> uh, the international break is over, and that means we're back to the stresses and strains of competing on three fronts now for City. Can City do it and win everything? We don't know, but we'll be with you for every step of the way. Special thanks to my guests this week, to Bob Toole. Cheers, David. And to KC. Cheers. Uh, in this week's Patreon bonus show, we're looking at alternative city histories and how things might have gone differently if some of the more embarrassing mistakes never happened. That's available for a mere $2 a month, and for that you'll get four or five bonus shows each month, depending on the length of the month, plus blogs by me and Richard Burns as well. All of that money backed goes towards putting the show together, so please do help out if you can. There are more details on patreon.com forward slash Podcast. I'm David Mooney, and I'll be back next week to assess the title picture after the games with Fulham and Cardiff. See you then.
0: Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Uh,
2: excuse me. What was that noise? <laughs> that was I don't know. I, um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, when, sometimes when I do a burp that's like pure release of gas, it sounds like a dinosaur noise. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if, I, if I'd have opened my mouth, then it would have gone... Ah.